It's time for episode three. Today I am joined by a multi-talented man and a man who I would say is wise beyond his years, um, Mr. Sam Lewis, a.k.a. Slew. He's uh, not only a super talented painter, um, but also... And in terms of both sort of classical painting, portraits and stuff like that, and then also does these cool, funky, fantastical creatures. Uh, so go check him out right now and follow him. Uh, it's at Sloop, S-L-E-W-P on Instagram, S-L-E-W on YouTube. Uh, yeah, also makes like super talented videographer, makes these super cinematic, beautiful videos on YouTube uh, that sort of documents the painting process he goes through. In today's interview, we... We talk about a lot of things. We talk about the power of consistency. We talk about how Gen Z are going to save us all. We talk about the power of repetition, which I guess is kind of like consistency. Um, but doing that repetition consistently, I guess, how important that is. Uh, sort of some of the some of the aspects of the business side of art and how how he's grown through his process of like pricing things accordingly and learning in his words, well, in his words, repeating someone else's words, to put on the asshole hat and, and ask for really what he's worth, that sort of thing. Uh, all around just a lot of value in this episode I think lots of lessons to learn and just some some enjoyable chats to listen to if I say so myself also before we jump into the show got to give a big shout out to our beautifully talented and handsome sponsor which is me uh, so go check out artbyengus.com that's engus spelled a-e-n-g-u-s uh, and buy some fucking paintings because why would you not they're pretty affordable right now they're going to be affordable up until the end of this year you know, so Christmas presents, get them in, because after that, the prices are going to steeply rise. And, you know, some of the content at the end of this interview will give you a clue as to why I'm considering that, because I'm going to put my asshole hat on and start charging what I'm worth, people. But for now, I'm going to be nice. Uh, so get them all their hop. And without further ado, welcome to the Creative Marketing Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode three of the Creative Marketing Podcast. Today, I am joined by... The artist and YouTuber and phenom and designer of this beautiful hoodie. Hey, um, my new favorite item of clothing and that t-shirt. Uh, Mr. Sam Lewis, a.k.a. Slew, if you're on YouTube, a.k.a. Sloop, with a P at the end if you're on uh, Instagram. Yeah, um, off. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, Angus. I'm excited. Love to talk about everything to do with social media, so... Boo, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Boo, yeah. So, I guess, to kick off, in your own words, can you... Give your spiel, your intro, who you are, what you're about. My elevator pitch. Yeah, I am a fine artist. I do a lot of painting projects, but I'm also like a YouTuber. So I record and document all my creative projects pretty rigorously. And I like to share that whole experience on YouTube and make cool creative videos. Yeah, that's pretty much the gist. And I've been doing it for a while now and I really love it. I have a studio, which is kind of the home base of the video production and the projects. But um, I really love it. And that's that's what I like to do. That's what I've been doing the past couple of years. Oh yeah, and I must attest that the videos are pretty quality because I've watched like all of them. <laughs> um, I thoroughly enjoyed them all. Um, so I guess take us back to the beginning. How did you how did you get started? Like Ooh, what beginning. Did the beginning look like for you? It really was just um, a love for making videos, actually, and that's something we can talk about later. My passion for making videos rather than just painting—they're paired now. Mm -hmm. but 
you know, from the beginning, I always like to say I was raised by YouTube. So whenever I got a laptop or whenever that was, you know, I was making funny videos with my friends. I made skateboarding videos. We made, you know, Call of Duty video game videos, Nerf gun videos, fingerboarding videos. So I've been doing like YouTube videos forever. Then, you know, maybe middle school, early high school, I got into graffiti using spray paint. And that was like the first inclination of artistic stuff and obviously started documenting making videos about that and then it really that kind of artistic outlet of graffiti blossomed into you know making more characters and using you know canvases instead of trying to spray paint on big walls and then that just snowballed into my passion for fine arts and then I got really into more traditional figure drawing and went to art school for that. And, um, but throughout that, you know, that's a long period of time that I just went through fast, but throughout that I was making YouTube videos of it all. Um, not for any monetary reasons. It was just really fun. And like I said, I was obsessed with making videos, documenting whatever I was doing and um, it's slowly built. And then, you know, only recently in the past couple of years have I kind of dedicated, you know, making videos full-time as a full-time job and really kind of leaning into the, the idea of being a video creator and, youtuber and uh pairing that with my passion for fine arts and painting and stuff like that love it yeah there's the online in three minutes <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we can just stop now <laughs> um just kidding i guess so the sort of the premise of this show is very much and i think it's sort of uh, the the direction that a lot of your content is aimed as well is sort of aimed at, at people early on in their creative pursuit be that painting art or like you know mm. writing music anything like that and sort of how to get started you know the early days and one thing that i'm interested in asking people is is because i think it's where a lot of the lessons lie is any sort of failures or things that didn't work early on that you learn from good pitfalls call. that people can avoid totally yeah who good question i'm trying to think i think i mean in the beginning and the majority of the beginning of especially doing like this channel i have now with art i didn't have any i didn't really have an agenda to sort of fail, if you know what I mean. So my agenda mm -hmm. was to do cool projects, have fun, make videos about them. They're very kind of simple videos, just time lapses of start to finish sort of thing. And that was my only real agenda. I was going to school throughout this whole time. I was working full time at restaurants and those kind of three, four years I was doing it before this last year when it turned into my job. I didn't really have, you know, I, I couldn't say that I regretted things. I should have done things differently. It was only until I, in my mind switched to, okay, I want to do this. I want this to become more successful. Like what can I optimize and blah, blah, blah. In that regard, I, I was just so heavily about, and I still have this about trying to make the best video to get the most views. And then if it didn't do well, I would feel like it was a failure or I, I made the wrong decision, whatever nuanced thing within that video project was, I thought not right, but I, I, I really, I think, I mean, to maybe not answer your question and flip it, I think if you have that mindset of really no agenda and just do what you like and do it consistently and do it a lot, you know, no, don't just lollygag, but people starting out, it, it, it's really, you will put yourself in a, in a failing position if you expect success right when you start out, especially very fast. You start a YouTube channel, you want it to be, do really well and be a full-time job within three months of starting. You know, that seems unrealistic and it's not impossible, but you know, for me, I think I was almost lucky and I never really thought about that for years. For three years, I was doing these videos as like a part-time job, taking them really seriously, only getting more serious. 
and I never expected money. I never thought that it would be a full-time job. I'm sure it was a pipe dream and it was a dream in the back of my mind, but I didn't hold that agenda very near and dear until more recently. So I think that's perhaps to, again, not answer your question directly, yeah, but yeah. you know, just do it because you like it and have fun. I mean, that sounds so cliche, but that's going to give you the most success moving forward if those opportunities do come. Yeah. And I think probably make the work more, you know, you are as well because not pandering as much because i was just talking to a guy earlier about that and and another point he brought up there is interesting about the likes and stuff is yeah. like point that he made is like once you have one thing that gets a shitload of likes then yeah. it's like oh now you know what that's like so now yeah. when a video doesn't get that it's like oh yeah. it's <laughs> but it's not that painful without that knowledge yeah it's totally it's such a toxic kind of shallow thing to chase even though it's very realistic especially if you are a business which i consider myself now only recently well it's been like a year but like you know the analytics and the likes and the engagement and all the optimization you know you're you're at that world of numbers advertisements. yeah totally so it's certainly important and you can't not look at it like but if you like you said like if you just follow that and every time a video does really good and you expect that for all the rest of your videos forever moving forward, you're going to set yourself up for some um, disappointment. And I totally go through that all the time. And I remember, I, maybe I said this to you before when we talked last time, but maybe not. But I remember when, when I built the studio with my buddy very vividly and like I was so gung-ho about doing YouTube full time and that's what I wanted. And I was very small, maybe had like 4,000 subscribers. I was getting only a hundred, 200 views per video. I remember telling him, I was like, dude, if only like, I would be so happy forever. If just 10,000 people watch my video every single time I uploaded video, you know, I'd be like, I would be yeah. happy. I would be able to live my life and just be content. And now I'm pretty surpassed that by a lot. And it's not even close to being content. You know, it's like, you always want more. I mean, sadly, and maybe not, that's not everyone, but you know, as the more success happens, you get used to more people and that becomes your baseline. And then you just want more. You're looking how to get more views and your baseline changes. And it's almost a never ending thing, which is kind of a unfortunate part of this sort of business and that world. But um, I was completely mistaken. And it's just funny. I really on this couch, actually, I remember telling him, be like, oh, just 10,000 views. I'd be so happy every time. And now if a video doesn't get a certain amount, wait, more than 10,000, I'm, I'm like, oh, this video didn't do well. So it's interesting to kind of, you know, you know, articulate those kind of thoughts. Well, let's take a moment now to appreciate the fact that you surpassed oh, that, that goal, you know? I know it's, it's the same thing. It's like you could beat yourself up about getting bummed about not getting more views. But more importantly, exactly what you said, like, I am just so grateful and to remember that, it's like, wow, I really surpassed that. It's like, I'm so thankful that I'm able to do this. And um, and it's just amazing. I'm very grateful. And also, <clears throat> it's like, to kind of go with that, it's like you play the algorithm of YouTube to get more views. And I'm not saying I compromise every single painting project specifically to just get more eyeballs. I mean, of course, that's a part of the pie chart of my strategy. And it, every video incorporates some of those strategies. But, you know... <clears throat> It's almost like if you stay more true to yourself and I, like my number one kind of thesis of making videos is like, I've always wanted to make videos that I want to watch. Like I, when I was younger watching my favorite artists or graffiti artists, like I wish there was a YouTuber, a, a young kid who I could look up to and relate to that were making graffiti videos, spray painting, crazy Cyclops, but also drawing super realistic skulls. So not in like an egotistical way, but I'm making the exact videos and pursuing my art career in the exact way I wanted to see someone else and them sharing their experience. So 
the more I think you also stay true to yourself. And again, this is more cliche, you know, talking about authenticity, perhaps the more successful you be and in people following you instead of just playing the trends and the algorithms, which might get you really good monetary success in the short term, you know, the longevity of it might kind of dissipate. And uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's sort of the part of the, the <clears throat> motivation for this podcast is like, there wasn't enough shit that I could consume that I was like, to teach me about the stuff that I'm trying to learn about. So I was like, cool, I'll just make it myself. <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> that way I can ask the questions I want as well. Um, that thing. I mean, that's like the motivating thing. And a lot of people have great ideas like you or want to do things, but a lot of people don't take the step to, hey, I don't see this. This is what I want to see. I'm going to do it. And that's like how a bunch of good creators are born, I think, and mm. fill those spots in the, in the community or whatever. Yeah, and I think that sort of personality type of like, the sort of it's a double-edged sword the opposite side of you know saying take a moment to appreciate that you surpassed that goal is one thing but i think you kind of also in order to achieve that success you kind of need that voice that's always moving the goalpost and saying no i want more i want more because like that's the driving force i guess behind the moves you know of course yeah i mean it's 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 really the double-edged sword it's just a balance like you don't want to sell out be a money hungry view monger but you know of course like any normal business like you have a good idea or a product and you want to reach as many people and have the most success in order to do other things in order to scale up and take on other projects or collaborate with more people or have more people help you out to build and scale up it's all very rational and realistic it's just it's easy to get caught specifically in the social media you know pinhole of views and mm -hmm likes and whatever so speaking of those things you touched on like looking at the data and figuring things out what what are the key data points that you look at like what are the things you're trying to move the needle on or like Ooh, good question um and i i like to think i look at all of them a lot but maybe not as much as other people or i don't know if you're familiar with like mr beast and like he's like he's like one of the biggest youtubers really like I me mean, he doesn't do what i do but yeah he like took over the youtube world like 20 million views per video every week and he talks about a lot about how he was hyper obsessed with analytics and like down to the really minute nuanced things that maybe people don't even know. And, and, and people shouldn't know because everyone's not YouTube creators, but for people who don't know, like YouTube who's owned by Google gives you really legitimate analytics and you know, the, the scope of what you can see with your videos and the statistics, who's watching the age group, when they're clicking on the video, when they're clicking off the video, like you really have all of this information. And I have the same analytic system engine that, you know, Jimmy Fallon does with his team at YouTube and his YouTube channel. So there is a lot of information and I don't go near close to um, diving in, but there's things you can compare. And that's what I do. I compare. So I take a video that do, does really well, and then I look at the analytics and see what I did in that term, when I uploaded, what day I uploaded, you know, what time I uploaded, um, and then maybe even see, take a look at that video's thumbnail or that video's title and compare it to another video that perhaps didn't do well. And then you can kind of see, you could cross kind of pollinate the things that you did differently that, and then weigh, oh, this maybe helped. But then again, at that same time, you could then copy those same things in a good video, do a new video, and it might do really bad. You know, so it's a push and pull, and you really will never know the YouTube algorithm, why they perhaps push your video to the recommended page, or if someone's searching up painting videos and then they'll push a video of mine. You know, you don't know, you won't know why they do that in the end, but you could take all of the things you do know and compare and contrast and perhaps trend up and 
you know, get a better strategy. So now I like, I will, I only upload on certain days, upload on certain times. This is similar with Instagram actually also. And then the big thing I think is, um, well, you want to, you want to hold people for the longest. I mean, which is another terrible thing. People's attention span is crazy. So I average 10 minute videos. I think I average maybe like six minutes and 12 seconds for people, the entirety, like that's the average. And that's, again, arbitrary, because you don't know if there's a bunch of fans watching every single second, and then there's a bunch of people guilty, skilpy, <laughs> thanks, skipping through like the whole video within less than a minute. So that's kind of mm-hmm. like another random statistic that may not be great. But you know, the longer people are watching your video, the more the more YouTube will want to push that video, because if they're watching longer, there's more advertisement to give to the consumer. And if there's more yeah. advertising, the more money YouTube is making, in turn, I'm making as well, but then they're going to want to push that video more. So just those things. And that's very simple. And I think if you're taking YouTube seriously or at a level where all of these things come into play, you should be looking at those things. But I think I can certainly probably dive even more deep into those things. But that's like the base level. Yeah, it sounds like that's it sounds like you're taking a sensible approach though. my uh, my sort of in my day job, which is involves a lot of data analytics and like optimizing what I always say, especially like when new people are starting on the team or whatever, the way I explain how I would say this is the best way to like optimize is ignore the middle 80%. Mm. What, what's the bottom 10% and what do those things maybe have in common? What's the top 10% and what do those things have in common? And the rest is kind of like, I haven't thought about that. That's totally, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just like a struggle and no one's really taught me. And even the strategy I'm saying, like, maybe it's not, that's not the best way to do it. Maybe there is, you know, I'm sure there's experts on the YouTube analytics that optimize videos and there's kids, you know, who do similar, mediumly similar video as me. It's basically like trendy art videos, you know, that are like mm-hmm. super quick, you know, in your face, you know, not a lot of talking, but a lot of doing. And so they're, you know, it's quick. So they're probably getting a longer duration video of people watching and then, they're playing the trends of customizing iPhones and I'm not hating on them. They're getting millions and millions of views, you know, really consistently, but they're yeah, it makes you question the the like common denominator of society. <laughs> like some of the stuff that people watch, yeah. Like I, I remember when I started my art rabbit hole on YouTube, there's like some of these abstract art videos that are just like a 40 second video of just someone like just splodge some paint on a canvas and smear it once and it's got like totally. six million views and shit yeah and i'm not hating on that at all because like they're yeah. doing them and they're making their money and they're finding a lot of success clearly but yeah so that in that regard it's just interesting to like so when i like again when i see those videos i'm like okay should i be doing that should i change the style of my videos to play into more of that like trend idea and it's like and then it's like oh but that's not really what i want to do i like making long format slower more intimate cinematography you know it's Mm -hmm. it's very kind of slow i think it's fun and there's no boring parts but it's not like the bing 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 which these kids are doing that are really you know capitalizing on that so again it's all just a balance and what you want and experimenting maybe you could uh I'm just having I'm having ideas here, but like maybe you could do like because I feel like that we we're both aware of Mr. Gary V. A thing that he does is he would have like the long form piece content, but then maybe like cut downs from it. So you could maybe yeah. have a trailer or like a small version, you know, for the for the slower attention span. Folks. No, you're right. It's totally true. And like I'm I'm not even on TikTok now, which because what I have on Instagram basically, and we could talk about this again. Like YouTube is really the place for organic growth. 
And like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see almost any growth on um, Instagram organically by posting, you know, it's all funneled from YouTube, you know, it's yeah. almost like an exact Instagram is like one fourth of my YouTube, you know, in terms of views, people following me, it's like almost like that exact fraction. And so YouTube people go to search how to paint, and they discover videos, and then they'll be able to discover you and they like your videos, and then they'll follow you. Whereas Instagram is sort of a place where you're looking up specific people to follow. You already know them. Of course, you could find new people on Instagram. And of course, you can grow from finding new people or finding new viewers on Instagram. But I think it's it's very different in that sense. And YouTube is really the source of kind of organic um, exposure. What was I saying? And so yeah, so like you Instagram is I just regurgitate my YouTube videos, my 10 minute videos mm-hmm. into a 40 second video on Instagram. And I think people like that and it's very consumable and it's it gives you the gist of the entire project, but it's in 40 seconds. So I think I can certainly do that more slash better, optimize that idea of, like you said, cutting those quicker clips as some sort of thumbnail trailer type of thing that includes the entire project on TikTok. I just am you know, bleeding, my eyes are bleeding every night from editing just the YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. Thinking of editing kind of TikTok yeah. forward videos, it just hurts my soul. So <laughs> I have to allocate, you know, some more editors to help me, but it's totally a good idea. And like, it's, there's a million things that you could do to optimize. It's just, there's not enough time and yeah. I'm just one yeah. person, you know, I do it all. So it's, it's at the point, it's like, what do I put my time into? So we touched on like, like failures or like things that didn't work maybe a bit but like on the flip side of that any things that have been like big breakthrough moments or big growth moments where you've been like ooh, that really popped <clears throat> well yeah i mean we could talk about thumbnails and i think for i think people underestimate i mean of course people who are big youtubers they know the importance of thumbnails and titles but for a while and i like it's almost been exact it's been exactly a year since i started making money and really found success on youtube last august last summer was when like one video did really well i think i told you that before and dude every time i look though you seem to have more followers like i feel like when i started following it was like 125 and then the next time i looked it was like 150 and then it was 200 great and hopefully like that hopefully it is that trend but like for three years i was making these videos and I'd like to say they're extremely similar to the videos I make now. The videos I make now are definitely better, more well-produced. Everything about it is more dialed, but they're very similar to the videos that I was making three years ago. You know, the Mm -hmm. same idea, sharing the experience. The art was similar quality. It's not the same, but it was there. And I did it for three years without finding much success. And, you know, at, at the end of those three years, before last August it popped, I was like, I'm making these really great videos in my opinion and like no one's seeing them. They're not being shown, like they're not being recommended. It's like, what am I doing wrong? And I really think my thumbnails and titles were really bad and they weren't exciting enough and drawing enough to the the random person who was looking at maybe five videos on their YouTube page. And like, it wasn't enough to get those people to click. And like, again, I can't prove that, but I then started switching after my channel started better. I really started focusing, spending a lot of time trying to make the best thumbnail, having a poppy video, you know, video of my face or like showing the entire project very clean. It's not, you know, so I think that's a big deal and it seems that it helps. And so that's something that I think I've been doing better and it seems to help. You can't really, again, prove that you're doing better with that, but that's one element that maybe is underlooked. And if you think, I say this to everyone, I've said this a million times. If Steven Spielberg, you know, had a YouTube channel, was making these epic 10 minute short documentaries, very of the highest quality, all regards, but people didn't know it was Steven Spielberg, 
and he doesn't have a good title and thumbnail, he's not going to get any clicks. You know, it could be the best video of all time, but if that first line of defense, the little rectangle and the title isn't going to be yeah. drawn, well, no one's going to know. And so hopefully my good quality videos and my personality and the art that I subjectively think is entertaining, you know, hopefully once people click it, they'll be like, oh, this kid is cool. I want to start following him now. But to get that initial new viewership, you got you to gotta draw on people. And that's obviously why clickbait was invented. And clickbait is terrible. I don't think I do necessarily clickbait. But it's like you really got to play to people's emotions, what's going to get them to click. And then the other thing to make this a rant, which is a more um, rant nebulous, on, rant on. Yeah, more <laughs> nebulous thing that I pat myself on the shoulder is I've, I've stayed true, but I've, I make these styled videos that I really love and I think are really fun to watch, like in terms of the quality, like the slow motion, B-roll, and really sharing what I think about that. And so as like a conglomerate statement, this types of videos I make that I, that I think are unique to perhaps the YouTube platform, not the YouTube platform, but the art community and sharing my experience as a young artist. Like I think that that has been helping me get people to not only watch my videos, but to continue to follow me, you know, that idea of longevity. Mm -hmm. I've, I've perhaps built the foundation of sharing, you know, my path of growing as an artist, of be doing more videos and blah, blah, blah. So that's that's what I'm more proud. And that's what, like, again, like videos do well or they do bad. In in the back, it's like, okay, you've, you've built this kind of library of videos and you've shared your experience the past two, three years. And so just keep doing that, you know, maintain that and just stay true to that because that's what hopefully people want to see. And rather than a video does a bunch of views and it's just random and it's like, oh, extremely successful, feels good. But I, I hold, you know, myself to that. I don't know. I'm just happy that I've continued to do that. And I think it's helped me in the long term or it will, you know, maybe I won't see more, you know, success in that regards for two more years. But that's what I think I'd like to say about that rant, getting confused. Uh, but, you know what I mean? Funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you say three years because you're not the first person today to tell me that three years is the kind of barrier for entry or like that's the cost of entry no, no. to starting a proper YouTube channel. So sounds like that's if you're considering starting YouTube, listeners, uh, get ready for three years of, of work before you. <laughs> that is so long and scary. And like, and that's why it's like if you hear that, you're almost going to always be turned away and be like, OK, I'll never be able to do that. I don't want to give three years. I want to do this and find success in three months, you know, but yeah, that's why you have to really like it. You know, like I even now and I have pressure to make videos and work hard because I'm making money and it's like my job now. So there's that external force that I didn't have for three years. There was nothing motivating me. There was no external institution saying, learn to make more video, like learn to use the camera, learn to paint better. It's just, be I did it because I really liked it. You know, again, yeah. like I just really love it. I can't get enough. And even now with the external pressure, like I'm spending seven days of the weekend here. I edit videos every single day. You know, it's a lot of work and I don't want to be like, I work the hardest, but you know, I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't really love it. And so Again, cliche, you got to kind of find that. And if you just want to start a YouTube channel for business and get success and exposure, you know, it, you could do it. There's people who do it, but it's like it, you should really probably do it to, because you enjoy it or you want to share some experience or you want to help people learn something or I don't know, talk like a podcast because it's interesting. So it's not impossible. And like the other 
thing to say is like there are so many people making videos there are so many people trying to make businesses off social media like you know it's been like this for the past three years it's like what the world is now the world is content creation and advertisement on that content so everyone is doing it so it's harder to find success but it doesn't mean you can't and it doesn't mean that you can't be unique and you can't find your niche and again you know you might be i'm never going to be the best painter in the world at all not even close i'm not going to be the best painter on youtube but maybe i'll be the most entertaining young adult making videos maybe i'll you know maybe i'll check all the categories of cinematography personality interesting paintings and that will you know those checking those categories will lend me to my success so there's different ways to play it and um, be unique but it's a crazy world right now that all that's going down and it's it's so apparent like i was talking to my buddy like and I, I got on the YouTube train very early. So like, I'm like mm -hmm. a low key expert nerd. Like I, <laughs> I don't watch Netflix really. I, from a young age, from when YouTube just started, I was following people religiously, you know, in like middle school on the YouTube platform. And like, even three years ago, you would never see The Rock or Jack Black have YouTube channels. You know, it would be absurd yeah. to see these celebrities have YouTube channels now. Every single celebrity has a thriving content creation platform on YouTube that doesn't have to do with their movies. It doesn't have to do with their TV shows. It's just their life and people follow yeah. it. It's another platform, more access. So that's what the world is becoming. TikTok, every, it's, you know, celebrity has TikTok. Obviously, Instagram has been around, but it's just insane to see the change in YouTube specifically over the past couple of years yeah fun fact about youtube that sort of goes over a lot of people's heads is it's the second biggest search engine in the world wow that's amazing because it's it's uh so yeah google owns all that search data but like people don't really think of it that way but it like and i think that's how probably i think that's like a, a way that a lot of people discover your videos is because you sort of have a lot of like how-to content and like here's how to how to do a stencil that sort of thing like right. and that's those are the sort of things that people are searching for you know that's what they're going to youtube for um so it's important to answer those questions i guess yeah and that's like part of the strategy i mean like if so for example you're talking about optimizing it's like if i made a video if i put a video up in the title same thumbnail like the stencil project video i just uploaded and i wrote probably you know awesome stencil project video you know i think how to make a stencil awesome stencil project that will do better in terms yeah. of yeah, growth and so that's just a good example so i never i mean more specifically i don't, I don't claim to be some sort of teacher I like to say I'm sharing what I do. It's not the right way. I'm not telling people to do it this way. This is just what I do in that regards. But yeah, putting the title and approaching those videos as more tutorial based rather than a time lapse synopsis, I think that lends it to people clicking on it more, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's tools. I don't know if you've ever looked. You can like look at sort of search volume data so you can see what things do you ever do that do you ever like work backwards from things that you know people are searching a lot yeah i do i see that they have um they have that on youtube there also is like third-party platforms for youtube analytics one called tube buddy and they have those sort of things where it will show mm -hmm. you it will take your thumb or it'll take your title and then um compare it to what other people are searching if it matches up so that sort of thing and i do but it's all very you know, there's not just one thing people are searching. There's a lot of things. So in that regards, you can kind of be more fluid with the title. And it's more of like, it's hard to explain. It's like, it, it also pairs with the, the thumbnail. And so like, it's almost like a shock value that you want to get. So one of my videos that did really, really well, one of my best videos, 
I think was I did this self-portrait six faces self-portrait mm -hmm. on canvas and the thumbnail was had all the faces in it you know in the rectangle it had my face kind of like right there with a paintbrush and it was what is it called it was called like I painted myself every day for six days challenge or something and so like it's yeah. like it's like a oh wow he did this kind of absurd thing the painting looks cool it looks like he really did it and all these things and then you know you think about this maybe instantaneously in your mind then you go okay i want to see him do that you know that yeah. thing um and so that title i mean i don't think there would be a title like that in that comparing platform mm -hmm. that youtube provides but it, it it clearly is something to play people's emotions to get them to click so things like that but i don't really work backwards from those search engine things, even though it probably is a good idea in terms of optimizing. But I do a lot of videos that are similar, like like I do a lot of videos like how I became better at painting, you know? This is why I love to practice painting. My painting, mm -hmm. you know, this is how I've improved. And so those sort of, they're different painting projects every time, they're different videos, but the, the that title is very similar to to people who want to improve and say, oh, this is how he improved. He has a good painting right there in that thumbnail. I want to know. I want to know how. I want to hear what he has to say, you know? So that's yeah. really <laughs> I love it. Again, I'm no, I want to disclaimer. I'm no expert. This is just my experience with my YouTube channel. I've only been doing it for a little and trying to optimize. So these, if anyone has some tips and tricks to help me out, you know, I'm all ears as well. And I'm always yeah. learning. So. It's just an ever going, you know, kind of language of figuring out and canoodling and f playing that algorithm that no one will ever, you know, ever really get. Yeah. Well, you're doing a pretty good job, I must say. So I guess taking it back to the, the you know, early stage, someone who's just starting off in some creative pursuits. Totally. What would your what would your playbook or your tips be like day one? Here's the way here's what you should execute on this plan. Totally. This, yeah, this might be controversial, but not controversial, but you might even disagree. And I, I also disagree. This is just from my perspective is like, I, 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 uh, a large part of my success, I think goes towards my video photo skills, you know, like my editing mm -hmm. and video skills, just as a blanket statement statement, you know, regardless if I'm painting in the video, it's like, I understood how to make videos from a young age and then I like use editing software and not even talking about a nice camera. The camera I had in the beginning wasn't that it was very generic, but just like be able to cut and put a video together that perhaps was entertaining that I thought was entertaining. And so that's what I think helped me a lot. And now it's grown to like obsession nerd out of cinematography and whatever. But um, I think those are good skills. And a lot of kids have those skills these days, just innately as young adult, you know, in this world of social mm -hmm. media. And I don't think, again, this is where I'm being devil's advocate. Like, I don't think you need to make 4K videos every day. And like, you don't need the nicest camera. I think you could shoot videos on your iPhone. You know, you don't even need to edit on Premiere or Final Cut. You can use the the cheaper, more friendly, basic editing softwares because there's plenty of exam examples of people on the internet who are extremely successful who do that, who just do the the simplest, most efficient way to record themselves. Gary Vee, you know, and his phones, and that's what TikTok is. So you don't need that, but just to give my experience, I think the the types of videos I make and pr the high quality production has, I think, lent a lot of success to me. And if Maybe I was doing the same sort of projects painting wise, but 
but I was filming it on my phone. You know, I did everything the same, except I was filming on my phone. They weren't more elaborate videos. I don't think perhaps I would have that success. Mm -hmm. so that's like directly from me. But another, another tip or trick beginning, I think, as another blanket statement, is just consistency. And maybe you know more about that than me. Um, and, you, and like I'm sure I think Gary totally talks about this, but you're better off, you know, doing one video a week for a whole year. So let's say 50 videos in a year than doing, you know, four videos a week for two months and then taking a couple months off and then yeah. going back. But, you know, it's like people, I mean, I don't know, just, it's just the, you just want the consistency, I think. And so, and that's what I tell my friends. Like I'm always pushing people to start YouTube channels or start vlogs or my friends and their niche things. So I have this buddy who um, is like a magician. He's like the sleight of nice. hand stuff and so cool. And he also is a graphic designer and he, he designs decks of cards and he prints his own decks of cards and he sells them and they're very cool, like custom king, queen, jack, ace. And then he gives it to his magician buddies who do tricks with them. And there's this whole thing called cardistry. Anyways, it's a very niche community and I'm kind of into it. I don't really do it, but I follow that community because it's interesting to me. And there's no one really doing vlogs and really killing the social media game. So I'm telling him, I'm like, dude, you're not only like an established person in your community because you produce cards, you're also a good magician. So, you know, you're in that Instagram realm of people who like, like magic. And so like, if you just start pumping out videos of you and your buddies doing magic or like you producing your decks, how you think about creating decks of cards. Like if you just put 50 videos out, they don't need to be 10 minutes. You could be filmed on your iPhone. If you put out 50 videos in one year, I always say to him, I think you'd be su surprised with your success. You know, it might yeah. take 49th video, but if you're that consistent, like I guarantee you'll have some sort of following. And then after that 50, you know, and you put in that work, you work your normal job and you work a little harder extra to put these videos out and share your experience. Like that 50th video from that point on, you really could start, you know, a, a brand and a business around yourself just by sharing your experience. And so I always recommend people to just give it a shot, but obviously easier said than done. And it takes a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of, and it's a lot of work with not <laughs> zero return, you know? So it's like, you kind of got, just got to give that but the timeline, I think, is the important thing. It's like, it's not two months. It's not three months. Give it a good real shot for a full year. Then look back, reevaluate, or, or move forward. So that's the sort of thing I always tell people. And, you know, it could take maybe the 20th video. It doesn't need to be a year. Who knows what's going to happen? But just, just in that idea of time frame, if you, if, you, if you use that time frame as one year, which is a long time, it's better and worst case scenario, you have an awesome time with your friends yeah. making videos and sharing your experience to this to the small number of people who watch it. Best case scenario, you start a big following, you start getting paid for what you do, and it's just equally as fun. So that's my spiel. And I've said that to so many people. <laughs> and maybe it's I'm just so biased. And it's like, oh, you just do 50 videos in a year and you share your experience and you make you edit these big videos. And it's probably, you know, it's it's hard and it's a learning curve. And people are also super camera shy that's a huge thing and they're embarrassed yeah. to vlog and they don't want to talk and they're embarrassed to share it on their instagram account for what their friends and family will say and i completely understand i for years i didn't post my youtube stuff on my instagram like my best friends probably knew i made videos but the rest of the people the majority of people you know and i was doing these 
long form videos talking to a camera for three years, a lot of people didn't know I'd do it because I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, what are they going to think of me? You know, I don't want them to see me. And so it's totally understandable, but it's a dumb thing because if you like it and you're having fun, you know, who cares what people think? Obviously. True, yeah. I think that's probably a barrier for a lot of people, but yeah, I think. Yeah, really, definitely is. Who cares is definitely the answer. Dude, you talked about like kids and, and you know, what, what they're going to be like i think that they're going to probably put all of us to shame they're going to be like you fucking losers you don't have a clue oh I'm so scared. <laughs> the, the time like the time is, like it's already happening like the tiktok kids like yeah 16 and get hundreds of millions of views a month <laughs> like multi-millionaire businesses and like they're just living and breathing content and like the the zeitgeist of whatever it's like oh my god like i'm just so nervous like what is going to come in the next five years you know there's going to be all these other platforms and advertising is only going to be on these sorts of styled videos it's so true man it's like it's only going to get crazier and if the money's there the you know the, the world will be there and the people will start making those sorts of things so it's so interesting and it's like that's the same thing with um this is like a random kind of tangent, but like the whole idea of like movies now and full length films, you know, like if you can't go to the movie theaters because of the coronavirus or people are nervous to be in that space, like it's, it's is it, has it already taken a hit of people producing films, you know, are there not going to be epic films being made in the future? That's what I've been thinking. Yeah. Totally sad and scary. And like TV, I don't think will die in the near future. And especially if it's like, these docu-series and short form Netflix shows, but like I'm saying to spend a year and a half, $200 million traveling the world to make these epic films. Like maybe that's not going to be what people want to do anymore. Maybe raising that money is going to be impossible because you're not going to be able to sell it in theaters around the globe. And so, and, uh, and, and can that, is that going to translate to YouTube and social media and blah, blah, blah. So where well, I think we're in for certainly, a transitional period within the uh, video creative realm in the next couple of years. My uh, my hope is though I have faith in Gen Z to save the world because all those idiots <laughs> have screwed it over, particularly yeah. the older generations with all the oil they consumed and all that jazz. But I feel like the first the first truly digitally native generation they're going to be the ones they'll figure it out. They'll write a new algorithm that fixes everything. Oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> totally yeah. I mean, or we're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, dude, it is so bizarre what's going to happen. And I don't know, dude. Yeah. Who, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. But I mean, everyone's going to try to stay on top of it. And I mean, it's just amazing. The, I mean, again, maybe I was late to TikTok, but the, 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 the speed at which TikTok took over the world in terms of every yeah. single person. Like, I guess it was musically and kids were just dancing and singing. But once it became like the new platform, to obtain eyeballs, every single person, every business, every famous person jumped on it. So it's like, there's bound to be new ones in the near future. And then it's just going to be a race, you know, just like TikTok was to get as many people. And then it, it will always change, you know, hopefully YouTube yeah. and Google will stay there forever. But, <laughs> you know, you can never, you can never really guess the climate of these new platforms or I don't know, just the, the the catalyst to obtain eyeballs, which I guess is the agenda when you look behind it all. Very true. Yeah, TikTok's a place where there's there's a lot of eyeballs. It's like I, I post some stuff there, like like time lapsey stuff and stuff like that, but it's like very 
not overproduced and not not good enough to warrant getting lots of views. But even like, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's shit. But even that, like something like that gets like 300 views and I've got like 44 followers or something. Oh, it's like, it's crazy how there's just free impressions to be had there. It's like, exactly. Uh, and it's like, it's so, and I don't think TikTok is the place for high production value. Like the point is extremely quick consumable things, you know, like, yeah. If someone's watching something for 15 seconds, like what's the difference between shooting something in 4K with a crazy camera rig or just filming your thing with an iPhone? It really doesn't matter. And then that's why it's so approachable and perhaps wise, you know, you know, it's like exact like if if YouTube's average video length, people watching videos, this is a random number is three minutes or five minutes, you know, or maybe it's maybe it's like six or seven. TikTok has got to be 20 seconds. And therefore, there's that many more views per five minutes, you know, so it Very makes true, it, yeah. it's crazy like that. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, that's like one thing I like low key regret is like, oh, maybe I should have really jumped on the TikTok train, like, when it blew up. I don't even remember when that was. I remember my cousin had it and I've heard of it. And I was like, I saw her flicking through it. And I was like, wow, that looks like the dumbest thing ever. And like, <laughs> all these kids dancing or like random and I knew what Vine was, obviously, and I love Vine, but TikTok looked way different to me. And I was like, wow, that's really stupid. I can't believe that. And then a couple months later, I was watching it. I was addicted to it. I, I saw the business side of it and just took off. So it's just hilarious. I don't think it's too late, though. I think it's still, I no, think we're right. still early days there. Totally. You're right. And that's the thing that perhaps gives me hope. But yeah, I need to like, it's just one more thing to worry about. And again, one more thing to watch the views go up and down and to have that emotional <laughs> <roller coaster. laughs> Oh, I didn't do well, or oh, I did well. I want to do this more. So it's like, yeah, it might even behoove me to, you know, stay away from that. But I mean, in terms of getting more eyeballs, it's it's a great it's a great platform. So we'll see, we'll see moving forward for sure. So we've you've talked a bunch about your your videography and and mm -hmm. you know we've we've mentioned it already at slew s l e w on YouTube to go check out some of that sweet ass uh, videography. But again, sort of taking it back to the beginners, what? How did you start off? Like, how did you learn? Play? Were there places you went to learn? Were there like things that you did? You're saying with like a video camera and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so and, not, and, and editing equally because I feel like that's yeah, really um, important. totally. And like, this is what again, just a disclaimer like, even my family and my best friends, it's like I, I'm known as like the, the painter and the like the mural street artist, whatever. But like, my love for videography <clears throat> and cinematography equates my love for painting, and not only is equal in terms of how I feel about it, my creative desire to do it, but the time I spend doing it. So, like, I spend a bunch of hours painting but then you know throughout that painting i'm moving the camera around i'm moving the lights like very more than people think and i'm not trying to toot my own horn or explain it because it's just like a restaurant you don't really care how your burger is prepared <laughs> or together you're just eating the burger people are just consuming my videos and hopefully will like it but what goes into the videos is quite a lot and then after the painting is done i go home and spend you know a week editing just that one video but um i don't i was never taught um everything you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. And that's certainly how I learned how to paint, draw everything video. But from a young age, I just loved, I don't know, just documenting and seeing yourself and whatever cutting clips together and storytelling, you know, it's just like storytelling through a video camera. And I think freshman year um, at my day school, um, I got a camera, kind of not, not a nice camera, but like a handheld camcorder for my birthday or something. And then there was like a video class you could take at our school. 
And so I already had this like extreme passion at home that I was messing around. And then we at school, they would let us shoot videos with our friends, put it together with the computers they had and editing software. So it was like double passion experience during that one year. And then just kept doing it. And like in the beginning with the painting, it was very basic. It wasn't heavy editing. I would use GoPros that took a picture every five seconds for my big painting projects. And then it would put it together in a really nice time lapse. And then you wouldn't really have to do anything. You would have to put it on the computer and then just export it. And so that was yeah. very kind of streamlined and easy, approachable. And then it just became my hunger to do it to the next level, do it better, do, you know, maybe add some B-roll clips of it at the end, or then I'm talking, I'm giving my introduction, I'm, you know, giving the experience. But then it, it turned into more than that, specifically with video. I had friends who were really good. Tom Huerta, actually, who worked at Vayner. I don't know if you knew him. He was on kind of Gary's creative team. He's mm -hmm. like one of my best friends from my town. He was filming skaters from like middle school. You know, he was in that whole skate scene and editing the skate clips and montages. And so he was very familiar. He gave me a bunch of advice. I bought one of his older cameras that he upgraded. He gave me his old one and just things like that. And then it, it was just really, okay, I want to do more. Search on YouTube, how to use Premiere Pro, you know? or saving up money to get a, a little better camera that has more capabilities and frame rates and all these things. And then, you know, like what I don't like, I have bad character traits, but like when I'm obsessed with stuff, there's nothing that's going to get in my way of learning how to do it or diving so deep into the internet, finding every single video of every single person who knows how to use it and then mimicking them, learning how to do it for myself. And a lot of people, again, I'm not trying to toot my horn, but a lot of people have good ideas. Toot away, man, toot away. You know, people have <laughs> passions and interests, but then a lot of people don't really act on those things, you know, and they don't take mm -hmm. the step to really do it. You know, Gary Vee's maybe mantra, you know, you just got to do it. And so that's what I think I'm really good at. I think I'm good at putting myself in a position to learn and then execute. And so it, it's just an iterative process of slowly building the skills and make, I'm making videos and videos and I'm failing. Maybe the video didn't come out well, or maybe I used the wrong settings, but I always know I'm going to do another one similar to painting. It's the exact same theory. It's like, and what people have the biggest issue with painting, they spend a bunch of time on one painting. It doesn't come out well. And then they have that bad experience with themselves. I don't like it. It didn't come out well. And it prohibits them from doing it again and learning and, and, you know, building on their mistakes. It's, so it's like, you've heard it a million times. You want to fail. Failing is the only way to learn. So me knowing that my passion for videography and filming and storytelling through videos never diminished it perhaps only grew and that made me do it more and more and try more and use different techniques and get more camera equipment get more gear learn and research more and so yes that's like the spiel and i i'm not some you know director of photography for full-length films i've gotten to a point that i can't believe and i spend a bunch of money and a bunch of time framing every shot using the lights microphones whatever and it's almost like overkill you know it's absurd but i wouldn't do it if i didn't love it and i wanted to yeah, just yeah. be a fucking power hungry you know quality monster for no reason just for a youtube video when you know 60 percent of people that's actually an analytic are watching my videos on their you know four inch phone so 4k doesn't really matter all these lighting shots it doesn't really matter at the end of the day but i'm doing it because i love it and it's a it's another creative you know outlet for me the whole video aspect for sure thanks for asking dude because that's yeah, something I, think, I don't know that's very interesting i think i think what i took i'm getting a big echo oh well uh oh no it stopped me? um 
I was hearing myself back. It's oh. happened. It's happened on a bunch of the recordings. So I mean, uh, to the listeners, oh, I hope you super good for me right now. I got a. I bought a microphone with a, with one of these arms, dude, and it like it brings me an inordinate amount of joy. <laughs> it like <laughs> I gotta get me one. I just have this thing, which is on on my desk. But yeah, the whole moving around, I, I, gotta, I gotta. I feel like I'm Joe Rogan, man. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but I think I think for the for the listeners, I think a a key lesson from what you said there to me is like is and it's sort of come through in a bunch of the stuff that we've talked about is that persistence and like the humility and not expecting any one thing is the thing it's like no one thing is the thing the whole process is the thing and i liken to it i've talked about this before and i'll talk about it again i'm sure like i did martial arts as a kid did kung fu and got a black belt in kung fu which is one of my proudest achievements but it taught me that lesson i think where it's like doing basically the exact same thing over and over again and yep. being like having yeah going in and issues. out a little i think you're good now but um yeah dude i completely i mean so, yeah i think uh okay here we go yeah i've been surprised it's been nailing it the whole call <laughs> it's just part this is part of the part of the creative marketing exactly. podcast is that at least five times during each episode it falls apart that's awesome no but you're completely right i feel like kung fu and that whole martial arts is like the perfect example of that whole kind of thesis of iteration and, and doing the same thing and understanding and building on that and like it makes so much rational sense but it's obviously hard to put into practice especially if for my example or kids like they're painting and they really don't like that or they see this painting they want to replicate they spend a bunch of time or even a bunch of weeks and it's still not good it really is hard to progress especially if you are having these experiences where you don't think you're doing quote unquote good which is a whole other topic but it really is rational like if you just you know, just to go back to that thing, like my butt, like if I'm telling my buddy to do 50 videos in a year, like the first 10 videos are probably be really bad or he won't know the flow or this strategy and the order of operations. But by the 25th video, it's going to come way easier dumping the footage, editing the nuance of everything involved with that thing that he's trying to do or even talking to the camera when to, you know, use the camera to film, blah, blah, blah. And by the 50th, it's going to be streamlined because it's just repetition. I say in all my videos, it's familiarity and exposure. It's the name of the game. And to go along with this conversation, and this is specifically to my thing with art, it's like, I've, you've heard this a million times. It's like, you're so naturally talented. Like I can't even draw a stick figure. Like I have, I'm not artistic at all. It's like, dude, I hate that. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very on one side of this argument as in, I believe that if you spend enough time on anything, you could do anything. So I tell those people, I'm like, if you put in as much time in the last five years, practicing drawing and practicing painting to the level I have, you would be at a similar point. The only difference is, and this is like, you know, I'm like a mediumly athletic person. I'm no star. But if I dedicated my life to basketball for the next 10 years, I think I'd be pretty damn good at basketball, you know, but I'm never going to be LeBron because there's yeah. physical differences, obviously. And there's that, that whole thing. But with 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 drawing and painting, it's very anyone with a wrist and hand can do it. And, you know, people learn different people regurgitate information differently. But really, if you put in the time, and even if you were forced, you could you could improve. The only difference is I am, I have like the passion aspect that helps me a lot. So like my passion and my, my love for doing this 
even when I was way worse and when I was starting off and I, 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 my skills were way different, like I just still loved it. And my passion drove me to practice more and even work long hours. Same with the video thing. It's like when I was not getting paid for YouTube at all, I would spend so long hours, 20 hours on a video, not because I was getting paid, but because I enjoyed it. And so my, my enjoyment drove me to do long hours. And in those long hours, I improved. And so that's like the thing that it's like the special sauce. It's like, if you have that passion, you, people say that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Pretty cliche, but it's true. It's like my passion for all this has driven me to, to not only improve, but to, to make it a job. And so like, obviously I'm lucky and now I'm making money, but for years and years I did it just because I enjoyed it. And that enjoyment drove my, um, my, my, my evolving aspect within the, the fingers that I liked. And so easier said than done again, you know, follow what you love to do because it will be easier to progress in that. But you know, that's what a lot of people struggle with. I know a lot of people who don't really have that one thing they like, or they're struggling to find that. And that's fine. You know, like I'm like perhaps an unrealistic version. Like I dropped out of school to do this thing I knew I loved and pursue it. But you know, that's not close to everyone. And it takes years to figure out and it takes a bunch of different experiences, blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to give life advice. But you know, it's, um, it's hard to find what you like. And especially if you're working jobs, it's hard to find time. That's absolutely realistic. Like if you're working hard just to get your paychecks, or you're working through school and blah, 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 it's hard. But once you find it, it's going to be easier to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's so true that 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 you need that passion or that love to to do that iterative process, you know. And I just had a thought there as well is that like that's probably a driving force of you know that conversation we had about oh if I could only get 10k views on my videos, right. it's so hard to stop and appreciate progress in that model exactly. because any one step is such a small step, you know. Exactly. It's like but then 50 of those steps and you look back and you're like oh <laughs> exactly. No, 100%. And like, that's the thing. It's like, you get so used to, it's such a slow process that, you know, you get used to the 10,000 views. And I don't even, like, I can't even remember, besides that one spike in August, like the views and subscribers, you know, it always seems like it's kind of the same. And I'm so familiar and comfortable with where I'm at because it's such a slow process of growth that it, it's never like, wow, like it's so, whoa, now I'm getting 60,000 views per video. It's just like, okay, I'm doing the same. It's only when you look back that you can really, um, con- you know, compare and see how much you've grown. So that's totally true. And it stinks because, you know, you should be grateful along the whole way and be excited no matter what, but it's, it's totally true. It's totally hard. So you've talked a bunch about your, you know, YouTube obsession and and you, the things you've learned from YouTube. Who are some of the people who you like look up to and learn from now on YouTube that you? Dude, you're just laying it in here with great. <laughs> oh, there's too many to ever say, but I mean, there's um, it's really great now, which is uh, another. This is a, like a really beneficial part. We've been talking about the toxicity of numbers, but <laughs> the community aspect I think of YouTube is really strong, and it's like really you can't really find it anywhere else. I mean, there's totally communities on Instagram and people really come together and like-minded views on Instagram, but on YouTube specifically, like there's the creators and then there's like the fans who follow and the, as, as, as toxic as the comment section can be, you know, it really is a great place to see what people think or people ask you questions and, you know, you could really get a good idea of the general mindset of people who watch your videos, but then, you know, the different, there's a couple of creators in my 
I guess to say the community of art YouTubers who are super amazing, super cool, who I've befriended. Not only like we became internet friends, but I've actually met up with these people in real life now. There's a few and they're, it's epic. And like, they're very like-minded people, not only in the art realm, but you know, business video creators. And so having those people to rely on or even ask advice with similar things we're talking about, merchandising and just, it's like another person to fall back on or conversate that's really doing the exact same thing you're doing. And then also like the people who watch the videos, there are like, I totally recognize commenters who, who've been watching my videos for years, you know, from before yeah. I popped up a little. And so that's amazing to see. And those people who have been really following me for years, it's like extremely humbling and awesome. And people are very supportive. And like, I don't think I'm in the toxic part of the YouTube community. You know, it's like, I get mostly love, which is amazing. And support you know from people and so that's great yeah, you'd want to be going out of your way to hate on someone to go and commentate on your videos i feel like <laughs> I, I totally get it man I, I i take screenshots every time because they're hilarious and like <laughs> it's it really it doesn't like really knock me down because i don't really care but it's like it's crazy and it's so funny and some of the things they say are just ridiculous but it, it's 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 not a lot which i'm lucky for but it's so funny yeah it's it's definitely there and i can see how people you know like totally can hate but yeah it's 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 hilarious but that's a great thing what was the question okay so like and if you want specific i love specific so and not only art like oh my gosh i like i said i don't watch netflix or i love movies but like i watch mm -hmm. youtube videos and i follow people on youtube i follow like like science videos like um smarter every day and um veritasium and these like just like physics science videos that are very cool they do they're like learning based videos i follow i follow like wood like carpenters and like like metal forgers i love people making like knives and and like random wood shops like i love all that creative stuff i watch a bunch of like actually the huge stereotypical YouTubers like PewDiePie or big vloggers, Casey Neistat, mm -hmm. all those people. And I mean, it's like, it's almost to a point of like disgust how like addicted I am to YouTube. I mean, I guess as much as people watch Netflix at night, but like I'm very invested into the different fingers of my interests on YouTube. And like, I watch a lot of YouTube. I mean, it's my job. And I think it's important to like have your eyes there. I think what Gary talks about a lot, like he's very, in the zeitgeist of social media and it allows him to make his own content because you kind of got to know that's why i watch tiktok a lot also like i'm watching the big tiktokers i'm seeing what they're doing the moves they're making because it's mediumly entertaining but also because i just want to know i just want to have my eyes on the whole social media scheme and be as much of an expert as i can but the range and scope of people I follow on YouTube is like shocking and low-key disgusting. If you if you saw the hours I put in YouTube watch time per week, it would be like yikes. But um, yeah, I love. It. I, I love it. Thankfully, you can't see that bit of the analytics. <laughs> yeah, I will just leave it at that. It's something that uh, is shocking. And when I broke my leg this summer um, a few months ago, I was like, Whew. the the TikTok hours and the uh, YouTube hours were at an all-time high. <laughs> so you touched on your attendance at art school which i know lasted less long than some of the other people who started at the same time as you shall we say but anything 
particularly I'm interested in obviously like they teach you the the art of painting but do they yeah. teach you anything to do with the business side or anything to do with you know how to go about no. selling your art that sort of thing no yeah no this is a wonderful conversation that I love to talk about and I really actually I think I have a good stance on it because I've been through all of kind of the the spokes of that those worlds um and it's very interesting and, and people don't know this when applying to art school or applying to the ateliers that you know they, they're like that so I went to Parsons for a semester, which is like a very renowned art school, design school in New York City. And it's like the generic art school, you know? And then I also went to an atelier for a year, longer than I was at Parsons, which is strictly a painting studio. And so the difference is it, like, Parsons is like a university of art. And by that, I mean, like you have essays, you're taking other liberal art classes. It's mostly creative stuff and hands-on, but it, it's, it's very, the business side of the art world, you know, like if you get a degree from Parsons, 9.5 times out of 10, you're going to be, you know, a, a designer or a graphic, you know, manager or some sort of, um, uh, you know, head of design. You're not going to be a painter. You're not going to be, I mean, that's what I was trying to be. You're not going to be, I don't know, like someone who's actually sewing the, the fabric to the clothes or, and so, you're going to get a good job probably graduating from a good art school, but it's not, I, I went after leaving other universities. I was, I was 22 at this time. I went with the intention of becoming a studio artist. I knew I loved to paint. I knew that I was decent at it and I knew I could improve. And I wanted to go to Parsons to improve. That was the service that they were going to provide to me. I was going to become a studio artist, use a paintbrush and a pencil. And I did almost none of that. And I was very bogged down and, and kind of frustrated, but it was a great experience. I've met a bunch of amazing people who now I collaborate, who, who have those networks of business and connections who, I, who, who behoove and help me. But I left because I, I, I wasn't doing what, exactly what I do. And so then the complete inverse of that, an atelier this is specifically like for painting and drawing is only that you you walk in and it's not a university. There's no homework. It's not a curriculum, really. The one I went to, it's you pay per month and you pay for studio sessions and how it works is it's model based. So a model will come in, sit down, they'll strike a pose and then they'll hold that pose for a week or two weeks. And you go in every day and paint for five hours and you're on your own. You have your easel and your your paints, and then there's a master teacher, a master painter in that class, and he comes in twice a week of those five days, and he goes around and gives individual critiques and helps you out. But there's no curriculum. He's not telling you what to do. It's very on your own. But what it is, it is 100% doing. You're just painting. You're drawing. That's all you're doing. There's nothing else. And like, I fell in love with that. And it was like, oh my God, why didn't I do this out of high school? You know, because that's exactly not only what I wanted, but actually will, you know, is perhaps the most efficient way to uh, obtain drawing and painting skills. The only problem with that, and as beneficial, and you're just exposing yourself to amazing painters in that community, there, they're not teaching you how to be an artist, which is a, a, a very different thing. Um, you, you could think of it as like a D1 engineering school for draftsmanship. They're, they're exposing the fundamentals, you know, just the really core properties of painting and drawing there's no one way to paint there's no right way it's not like math but there's these traditional systems and how to do things how to draw a foot how to draw a portrait the techniques in portrait painting you know they're ingraining the engineering draftsman portion of that but they're not you know there's not even one percent teaching you 
how to express yourself with these skills. You know, it's just the skills. So yeah. that's something I knew um, going in. And again, why I was so excited about that, because at that point, in my opinion, I had the creative ideas. I had the creative desires to make Cyclopses, to do crazy painting projects. You know, so I was like, okay, I have this locked down. Now I want to increase my skills in order to do those things more. And so it really worked out for me in that regard. But on the flip side, a lot of people um, do struggle with that. And a lot of people are extremely talented at painting and drawing, but they have no creative juices. You know, they really do struggle with what to, you know, compose on a painting or some idea and narrative to to incorporate. So there's that. And a lot of people get caught up going to those types of ateliers, becoming amazing draftsmen and painters, and they can draw a portrait of you, Angus, perfectly. But, you know, outside of that, they're really in a rut and they don't know what to do. So that's the spiel. But again, for me, it was it was exactly what I wanted. And I, I mean, there was this point at which, um, which I've said actually in another podcast, an amazing, it was like a Eureka, it was like a dramatic movie scene where I actually met with another owner of a, an atelier, a different one in Long Island City. Oh yeah, you're not from New York, never mind, sorry. But it was really intense. It was even more intense than the one I was going to. It was a curriculum. There was a, there was a curriculum you follow over a four year period. It wasn't a university, you don't get a degree, but it was really laid out in this extremely intense program. And like, I wanted that man. Like I loved it. After my year of that atelier, I was obsessed and I wanted to be driven into that world of extreme, you know, vigorous painting and drawing. Because again, I thought I had my creative side and I was good with that. But uh, if I went to the school, I would have to give up my YouTube, my studio. Um, I would have to move out and I would have to, I couldn't continue to pay rent here if I decided to go to this new school. And so I was applying really late and I met with the owner of the school, met at his private studio in New York City, had an hour conversation with him. He was so kind and generous to me. And I was telling him how passionate I was and I was like, really could see myself doing this. And he was basically saying, this is a huge commitment. Like a lot of people don't know how big the commitment is, blah, blah, blah. And I was basically begging him to let me into that school year because I was applying so late and the, mm -hmm. it was kind of done. The application process was done. And at the end, he basically was like, yes, like you met with me. I see your passion. Like, I'm going to let you in this school year. And then after that whole hour of begging him, I basically was like, you know what? I'm actually not going to do this. Like I've been working on this thing that I'm equally passionate about my YouTube channel, um, you know, the momentum that I've gained. And again, this was at the point when I hadn't done well. This was June of that summer. And when August, my thing popped up. So I basically said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to kind of maintain this. I'm going to give my passion another shot for another year. I'm going to give it one more year to see what happens. And he was like, all right, do whatever you want. But, you know, it was just a crazy thing. And then serendipitously that August, my YouTube channel picked up and I have been able to give this last year like a really full, full-time sixth year, you know, shot at it. And it's been great. So it's just crazy to look back at that. But that was like a really defining moment of, I could have gone this entirely other route, which I was very excited about. You know, it wasn't like one, it was like two great decisions, but I decided to um, to do the whole YouTube thing, which was really my passion for three plus years or my whole life. And it was, it was dramatic, it was hilarious. The world works in mysterious ways. I love that, that like, it's so strange how that often happens. Like once you decide on something, the universe sort of gets behind you, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, oof, it was a bizarre, 
it was a bizarre thing. Also, even in Parsons, like I've made a bunch of really weird impulsive decisions in my life that I guess looking back have seemed to go well, but I mean, you never really know. I was, I did spring, the spring, my first semester at Parsons was the spring semester. So after that first semester, it was summer. And so I had the summer to be like, oh, that was a good year. I'm excited to maybe keep going. I was bogged down. I was kind of frustrated. And I was like, okay, maybe this next semester I'll do more hands-on painting stuff. And the third day of that next semester, which was in the fall. So I had the whole summer. I was in the fall. I was in this class. I think it was just called, I think it was just called video or something, whatever. And I just had like another eureka moment. I was like, wow, this is totally not what I want. Like I'm just wasting my time going to these dumb ass classes. And they're not dumb. I mean, for kids who are <laughs> exiting high school, you know, it's great. It's a great school. Um, but like I was 22, I've been a freshman three different times at different universities. Like I knew what I wanted. I was at this position where I knew what I wanted and this is not what I wanted. And I was like, screw this. I left that class. That was like on a Wednesday. I did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of new classes. Wednesday, I left. I went to the registrar. I withdrew from Parsons without telling my mom. And I went to go to different ateliers in New York City to look at them. And like, it was so weird. I had no idea about that world of painting studios. And like, for how obsessed and my desire to be a studio artist, I never gave it any research. And then I finally did. And I went and I saw and I finally ended up meeting with someone at the Art Students League in New York City, which is where I went. And it was like, if it, it was like the perfect puzzle piece to what I was looking for. And then I told my mom and it was eons cheaper and affordable compared to Parsons. And, and so that kind of all happened within like a week. And it was very very impulsive, very sporadic. And so that was like another crazy thing that I've done, but it happened to do well. And I'm very fortunate, lucky that I've had these opportunities to go to different schools. And that's also something that I'm very aware of, you know, I'm very privileged and fortunate in that way. But um, yeah, it's just crazy, some crazy moves by me. I'm very impulsive. And I'm sure there's gonna be some impulsivity in the future where it perhaps won't go well. And I might take a couple L's, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting to look back on those kind of mediumly defining moments. It sounds like it's impulsive led by your heart, though, or like your true yeah. self. So I feel like that's uh, and like that's you know, a recipe for success. Yeah, it's like your gut. You know, it's like that whole gut feeling narrative. Mm -hmm. It's like very woo woo and cliche again, but it's like it's true. It's like I I did that because I was like, this is such a waste. I'm not going to commit to another semester at this place. I really don't like spending so much money and again i've been through the university circuit two other times so i was in a unique position to say um, i don't want to do this again rather than a freshman out of high school saying this isn't what i want so yeah. it was led by my gut but it was also like as impulsive it was it was like weighing options and blah 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 but yeah that's something interesting so you touched on like people the people who have like that artistic skill but maybe lack the imagination side mm -hmm. of things i feel like similarly there's people who have the artistic skill but lack any sort of business acumen so what would your advice for people like that be who are like who have that artistic skill but how to go about turning that into a financial income great great question and that's totally true I don't know. I'm trying to think of how I, I wouldn't consider myself the most savvy businessman in the world, but I'm certainly, I not only enjoy it now, but it's very a part of my business to, to, to incorporate those ideas and learn about it. But I don't know. I think you should watch videos online, talk to other people who perhaps do it. Like 
you know, we're talking to each other. We're like, that's your job and you're quite versed in that whole world. But if people have friends like you, you know, I would reach out to friends or if you know other people who do social media thing, I think that's the first good thing to get advice and other people's experience. I mean, there's countless videos online talking about optimizing social media and business and blah, blah, blah. But to then incorporate those ideas, people say into your own personal thing with those nuanced elements of what you want to do to start your own business and things like that. Um, I think it's like, it very is kind of trial and error. And um, I think that, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's a good question. It's really hard. I don't think there's one answer specifically. Another example for me is in the beginning, I would, I would have opportunities to do commissions and to sell paintings. I actually don't sell a lot of paintings now because my opportunity to make money for doing exactly what I want in my videos actually surpasses perhaps the amount I can make with commissions, which is an amazing thing I could say. But so, but before I would try to sell commissions and it was, I would paint things for people or people would want to buy my paintings. And I think I made a bunch of mistakes in the beginning, undervaluing myself and not, not really caring so much about the work and the value of my own work, you know? So I was kind of like, Oh yeah, whatever you want to pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks, 200 bucks for this, painting and I would undervalue myself. So I think that maybe is a theme that people do. I think, I don't know. I, I don't know. I certainly never overvalued myself. You know, I would perhaps go to the timid side of, Oh, really? You want to buy this? Okay. Just give me whatever you want. I would never, I was never the person like this painting is $750, you know, when I was like yeah. a nobody. And then, you know, so um, I've learned to kind of put on that, Another artist that I've talked to talks about this, like kind of like the asshole hat, you know, you have to be that asshole businessman and you have to value yourself at a certain point. And even like um, negotiating sponsorships, you know, these third person, third party, like people maybe in your kind of job will reach out to me and give me a quote for, Hey, this is an integration we want to do. This is the amount we'll give you for a 45 second plug. And before I was like, Whoa, like that's awesome. Regardless how much it was, maybe $500. And now, um, you know, I will never take that first thing. And I know what my worth is as a creator. I know my views. I know not only the views, but the conversion rate, that my viewers will convert on a product or the links that they'll click from me saying something. So it's, it's always a huge negotiation. Now I completely highball them compared to their price and all these things, but it took a long time to understand that and to really put on those shoes and hat of being like, Hey, no, like I'm worth way more than that, you know? And, 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 you know, sometimes that will, dissuade people and maybe you know a person interested in buying your artwork won't want to buy it now because you're saying it's worth more and stuff and so it's a balance obviously if you're selling work to friends or random people you want to make a price that's fair for the work you put in and the value you value yourself at but also a price that is uh, reasonable for someone to purchase but um it took me a while and i was very i think i'm still kind of a pushover in some regards in that in that realm but um i've certainly tried to increase my, that that kind of like putting my foot down notion and the asshole hat that my my buddy Ken says so if that is any business advice but you know the nuance of social media business there's so many different things it, it's one of those things that if you start you'll learn you'll fail again to our failing conversations you'll make mistakes but you're not going to become some social media guru overnight you know it takes time and but um it's totally doable and there the, the amount of resources 
now this is another thing gary talks about like now's the best time to do this sort of stuff like there's never been a better time to put out free content obtain eyeballs and get you know money for it and the amount of people doing it the amount of people helping people do it for free it's crazy so an extension of that conversation i guess and the beautiful hoodie that i'm wearing now is uh that's another way that you've sort of gone about monetizing is is through through creating that merch is there any you know lessons you've learned pitfalls you fell into that other people could avoid in that process that you can you just talk to that process a bit basically yeah totally i mean the, the merch that you're wearing and i'm wearing this was like my first time really doing merchandise ever um so so I took it seriously and I was at a point and I had friends who've done clothing companies a lot. Like a lot of my buddies actually were very successful. And, um, but I had my own ideas, my own agenda, what I thought it would be in retrospect. It was really just like a beta test, sort of a test to dip my foot into the merchandise realm. And it, it went well, but it was also totally riddled with headaches and mistakes. And um, it's hard to give generic mistakes I made because it was very unique to me and what I wanted. Mm -hmm the pricing, but I think that I, well, first of all, the merchandise, this hoodies and like it's clothing that I was selling and that's the only really merch I've done. I was never trying to be like a fashion brand. And so that's something I really wanted to delineate that I don't think I did was that I'm not trying to be a fashion brand. I'm just releasing merchandise for my YouTube conglomerate, my paintings, you know, like merchandise for a creator like me actually is very lucrative because I already am painting images and I'm making art. And so then putting art on art prints normally for fine artists is something, but putting on clothing, putting on decks of cards like my friend does or making pins that I'm making in the near future, it really lends itself to merchandise. But I, I, I don't, I didn't want to be a, a fashion company. I wanted to be a, uh, it was just a merch endeavor. And so the quality of the merch was not perhaps the quality you would think of. Not that that hoodie is terrible in any regards. It's it's fine. And it was pretty it was cozy. Only, yeah, thanks. It was $55. And I think, you know, people don't blink their eyes paying $75 now for a hoodie, you know, if it's a company they like. So I tried to make it affordable. The quality was fine. Um, moving forward, I I think I'm going to certainly increase the quality and make it a little more limited edition where it's like more wearable art prints. Like it's really based off a painting project and then I'm releasing a certain amount of hoodies specifically tied to this painting project rather than just having a full catalog of clothings that you can always get. So that's like my strategy and what lends it to myself. And then in the, the merch I released, it was there was a couple issues with quality control. I didn't have my hands on every single order. I kind of used this third party company to help me out, which was really great. And I couldn't have sold as many as I did without the, the fulfillment help that this company provided. Um, but again, it was my first time doing it all. And um, like we said before, like it was a great experience because I made these mistakes and guess what? I'm going to do it again. And now I know what I know from that experience. So that was like the majority of why I did it. You got to start somewhere. And it was fine. It did do well. And I made, you know, good money and it was all of the above, but it was certainly headaches at some point and a, a, a fabulous learning experience. But for advice, people moving forward, just give it a shot. You know, that's the only real thing. You're, you're only going to understand it more after doing it which is again, the most cliche 
nebulous statement, but it, um, <laughs> it's totally true. You know, it's like Turns out cliches are cliches for a reason because they're dude, like, you know, cliches are totally there for a reason. But um, it's totally true. And and again, it's like these same things we're talking about, Angus. It's like all these things people may know and people may be pretty familiar, but you, you there's a certain difference of understanding it and knowing the ins and outs and then actually doing it, you know? So it's like, uh, if I could just give any advice, it's just to, you know, get some sort of spark under your ass and just go for it, you know, and just have fun doing it. Maybe you lose 200 bucks here. Maybe it doesn't turn out perfect and you're not super happy with it. But then the next time you do it, you're going to do it better and you're going to have more fun with it. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I'm really excited about merchandise. It's like a huge thing. I think it's not only huge business play, for creators of all genres, comedy, vloggers, you name it. But specifically for me, again, being a fine artist, it really lends itself for some big opportunities. So moving forward, I'm certainly going to try to dive deeper. Um, and as one of the you know fingers of my business, merchandise and prints and limited edition, stuff like that will be certainly um, a thing I'll definitely do a lot. Exciting. Okay, well, we're coming to the end, but uh, my second to last question is a question I'm asking everyone. Anyone who you think I should reach out to to try to get onto the show, who you think would be like a good fit for this? Great question. I mean, just anyone or people in my world you're saying? Yeah, anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Both uh, your world or just anyone you think would be. Creative marketing. Um, That's total. I mean, know who I really like and maybe you know him way more than me is babin you know babin yeah yeah he like um totally is in the world he definitely does different stuff than me and he's more of like the commercial side i think of content but he's totally he totally kills it and i feel like he's a great communicator perhaps as well loves to talk he's cool um i mean there's a lot of people who make youtube videos like me that may be interested my buddy even who makes a deck of cards. His name is Lorenzo um, Kobo. I could give you his information. He's like, he's not really doing social media marketing that much, but he, like I said, I, I've been begging him to do it more. And he's he's teaching himself like 3D animation, Blender, and he's a graphic designer and like a, a designer from college, but he's di- dived into this whole new world of like 3D rendering and throughout quarantine, he's taught himself. And so he's super interesting. He's super talented. And maybe I think if he's on this podcast, he can even learn something to help him, you know, um, help his whole social media stuff going. So he's a great one. His girlfriend actually in turn is a typographer and who has been selling her typefaces. I'll give you all their information. Her name is Emily and um, she's been killing it. She sells digital assets as in like she sells her typefaces. She leases them out and she's been doing really, Dude, really can well. can be mind-bogglingly lucrative for oh, what I've heard. Like, she's been killing it. And she, it's not like she had some crazy following on Instagram. She just is an amazing typographer. She's at Parsons. I know her from Parsons. And she came out with a few different font um, typefaces and they got picked up by other big Instagram people who are type whatever communities and people just love them. And she made a boatload of money leasing these things out as a digital asset that just sits on the internet and she kills it. So she could be super interesting to talk to. And yeah, I, I mean, off the top of my head, those are the two. If there's more, I could definitely send you some your way, you know? Sick. Sounds good. And then last question, uh, where can people find you? People can find me slew. You can just type in slew, S-E-L-W on YouTube. You just misspelled it, man. Come on. You misspelled your own name. (laughs) S-L-E-W. 
on YouTube. There we go. What did I say? You said S-E-L-W, for sure. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm dyslexic, so. And then on Instagram, it's slew with a P at the end because I couldn't nail down slew. I'm still trying to get it. Some random person with, like, no followers, no pictures has S-L-E-W, and I'm I'm looking to file a lawsuit, honestly. No, I'm kidding, but I will, I will buy that off them. It's S-L-E-W-P on Instagram. Yeah, that's it. Much love, Angus. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you so much, sir. It's been real. Appreciate yeah, it. Talking about it. Love to talk again. I'm actually also trying to start a podcast in the near future. I've been working on it for a year. Um, anyways, but yeah, you would amazing. You would certainly excited come on. to for sure. I'll uh, yeah. Once I once I launch, I'll give you the playbook of anything I learn. Hell yeah, man! All right, peace and love. Thanks again, Thank man. You. This has been the Creative Marketing Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Tune again. Whoa! Tune again. Again. Tune in again next week. Uh, when we'll have another super special guest that we can learn a lot about creative marketing from. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, hit me up on Instagram. Let me know what you liked, what value you found, any suggestions for things you'd like to hear in future episodes, future guests you'd like me to try and get on the show, etc. At Angus Boyle, A-E-N-G-U-S-B-O-Y-L-E. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Until next week. Peace, love, harmony, happiness, joy, all of those good things and none of the bad stuff. Bye!